Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Hey folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films by film lovers. Each week we pick a film, we review it, we discuss the ideas and themes it throws up, and offer some recommendations for other movies that we think are in the same kind of vein, further reading, if you will, from the movie of the week. But as always, we open the show with what else we've been watching, or what else we've been enjoying, as uh, Sam is wont to go off on other media than movies. Um, Sam, since our last recording, what have you been enjoying? Right, well, I never watch films now. I don't have time anymore. Um, so we're literally on a film podcast. Like, I assume you watch some films. <laughs> yeah. Um, but So this is this is very rare for me that I get a chance to watch a film other than the film that we're talking about. And I um, had some time this weekend and I watched um, a recent Netflix film with Sandra Bullock called Bird Box. Um, and there was some um, critical acclaim going round that came out at the end of last year, and then the reception wasn't great from the public. And then Netflix was saying one of the highest streaming titles ever. It was just sort of mixed reviews, um, mm. so I thought I'd, I'd give it a try. And it was it was brilliant. Um, I, I mean, I I think Sandra Bullock's great. But I didn't really watch it for her. Um, watch it for what I heard about the, the film, and it was brilliant. It was, and I saw some fairly snotty reviews of it afterwards about sort of the the, the horror tropes that it uses and um, being not very tense and quite hammy. And I didn't find any of that at all. I thought it was brilliant. Um, so I would thoroughly recommend Bird Box. This is a tenet for the books. Here you are recommending a horror movie, and here I am recommending a uh, TV show. Um, so we're, yeah. we're, we're stopping <laughs> places for Um I have actually seen Bird Box yet. I hear good things about it, um, but I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it yet. I want to talk about a show I've watched this week and what I actually recommend, um, and that is the also Netflix uh, production Chef's Table. Now, if you haven't seen this show, guys, essentially it is the most high-end of high-end restaurants. This is this is tweezering things onto your food, and it is the most high-end of what's out there, basically. It's the hour-long documentary per episode about a different chef and a different restaurant. And they cover the world, and they cover the sort of the, the cuisines of the world, and but each one is very in-depth about the chef, and also very in-depth about very high-end food. Um, so season six has been released recently and I've been watching that um, I want to see like two episodes from that that are well worth checking out uh, the first one which is about Mashama Bailey who is about a a woman from Georgia from Savannah Georgia who left went away and became a highly prized chef and then came back to Savannah Georgia and brought with her and tried to do a modern high-end take on traditional southern food and the second one is Asama Khan, who is a Indian lady who's now in London and runs a restaurant called the Darjeeling Express in London. 
um, and she brings a history of Indian food to basically London. And rather than being the traditional Indian curry that we offer, but this is more traditional, more authentic Indian food. Um, it's very much for foodies like me. It is not a, it's not Bake Off. It's not an easy show to watch if you aren't into high-end food um, and the theories behind it, but it is a very good show if you like food. So if you haven't seen Chef's Table and you are a foodie like me, it is one to add to your watch list. Um, well, we are... Um fairly deep into our season of martial arts films that's what we're looking at at the moment and this season season four we're going genre by genre and the first of those genres is martial arts so we started in the 1920s and we've now worked our way to the 1980s and we started um, sort of venturing more into quote-unquote western films last week with enter the dragon and this week's film is another Western film. It's 1984's The Karate Kid. Come on. This is it. This is the end of the line. You're telling me. You know, I really think we're going to do good here. I have a very positive feeling. I'm telling you, Daniel. This place is a dump. You should go back to New Jersey. All you want to hear is how great it is out here. Well, it may be great for you, but it sucks for me. The Karate Kid doesn't need a lot of introduction. Many people will be familiar with it. It's produced by Jerry Weintraub, by John Davison, who did Rocky as well, most famously. Um, and it stars um, Pat Morita as Miss Mie. He went on to do any number of Karate Kid sequels, and also Ralph Macchio as the titular Karate Kid, and it follows this young boy, and Ralph Macchio was in his 20s when this was made, but he's, he's a 15-year-old high school kid, and it's his interactions with a local group of uh, power-hungry uh, Karate as, um, I suppose as as sort of vindictive revenge and um, punishment. I'm sure, what else you'd say? But it's a it's a group called Cobra Kai, for whom um, mercy is not an option. It's their kind of their sort of tagline. Um, and Miss Miyagi is um, Ralph Macchio's teacher, and he teaches him a lot about coming to terms with this place that he's moved to, moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. Um, and so I'm, I'm waffling here, I don't have an awful lot to say about it, but Rob, what are your thoughts on Karate Kid? This was, I think we've touched on episodes previously where we've watched movies from our childhoods, and this is a film that I watched as a kid, I think as everybody of our generation certainly did, but I probably haven't seen in 20 years, um, if not maybe 30 years. Um, this is not a movie that I've, I've, I've watched in the interim time. And so it's kind of weirdly entered this kind of, I suppose, artificial state in my mind, in which I know the story, but I'm not actually referencing the text. Itself. I'm, I'm referencing the cultural icons of the story, the, the, the cultural references of, 
of the references. So I, the actual text itself is something I've been quite distant from in a long time. That makes sense. Um, mm. It lives through memes. It lives through, you know, images of you know, sweep the leg and, and the crane kick and all that sort of stuff. It, 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 these are sort of cultural artifacts that I interact with far more than I've ever interacted with the movie itself. So it was quite interesting going back to it. And I think there's a, often a chance when you revisit childhood movies that the adults we are now, you kind of see the flaws more than you see the greatness of it. And you end up sort of seeing, oh, yeah, as, as an eight-year-old, I probably love this. But now as an adult, I see all the I see the flaws in it. But that wasn't the case here. I really did enjoy watching this again. I mean, it is a simplistic narrative. Now, the good guys are good and the bad guys are bad. Um, and it plays fast and loose with you know, karate rules and all these sorts of things. But I very much enjoyed it. I can see why the... Um, I can see where the leads got the um, sort of the praise they did. Certainly, um, Daniel uh, Ralph <coughs> Ralph Macchio has a easy charisma to him um, at this age that, that shines through. Um, Pat Moriarty obviously is is infamous as as uh, Mr. Miyagi, and that's I say he's he got an, I think an Oscar nom for that role. I can see why. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really, really did enjoy it. You go into it with a uh, sort of a, a pinch of salt because whilst it is a, in a certain realistic world, you know, the, the ending when the, he he wins, um, he is carried off in everyone's arms and cheering and it does feel a little like um, sort of wish fulfillment at certain points. But I uh, I did enjoy it. Um, but I, I, it was it was strange going back. There's far more to this movie than I thought there was in my memories, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, what about you? Well, I have two th- surprising things to say about this film. Um, and the first one is that this is the first time I've saw- seen this film. <gasps> yeah, it's it's one of those things that, you know, something is so popular and so well-known and such, it, like you say, is embedded in pop culture and memes and people's thinking and wax on wax off and the crane kick mm. and low sweep and just I just never actually saw the original text so this is kind of well this this is my my first experience of this film bizarrely mm. um, and I would have seen lots of other less well-known films even in this genre before now um, the second thing is well, I don't want to be too harsh about it, but I just, I'm not sure what I thought all the fuss was about. It just didn't grab me. Fair enough. I I love Miss Miyagi, and I thought the film, like you, you mentioned in Austin, like, I, I can fully see that. I thought he was utterly brilliant. Mm. Um, and I just thought that, Whenever he wasn't on screen, I just switched off. I was like, "Well, no. If I want to watch a sort of charismatic twenty-something um, acting as a teenager in American high school in the eighties, then I'll watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off because that's better." Uh, I mean, comparing it to Ferris Bueller seems like a, like a hard comparison for uh, for any high school movie. <laughs> okay, but it just. It just felt that I mean I I am I'm not taking anything away from from the Swedish Pat Morata because he was utterly brilliant and I love the 
narrative about his his wife and his past and um, and the war as well and the fact that he was he was sort of conceiving a great sadness and he came out and it came out at a sort of emotionally charged moment for Daniel as well. Um, I, I really enjoyed that, but I just uh, just a bit dull. I didn't get on with the uh, the high school narrative at all. Fair enough. I think for me that the one thing that really struck me on this watch through, which is the thing I wasn't expecting, was how much as I said, much more it got going on. In many ways, like this, like the, uh, the karate stuff is the stuff that everyone sort of thinks about, and remembers. But in many ways, this movie is much more about class than anything else, mm. um, and much more about sort of finding a family. I mean, there's a clear, you know father-son dynamic going on between Daniel and Miyagi uh, Daniel without a father and Miyagi without his, his family but like, the amount that where this was about him being the poor kid from the other side of the streets and the rich kids and it's there's tension with him and his girlfriend over her being you know from the country club set and him not being like, there was so much more in this movie about about class tensions I suppose than I was expecting mm. um, actually uh, I suppose yeah, I didn't really get on with the sort of Daniel Larry narrative at all until that the the moment where it comes to a head and he says, "Oh, I suppose you, you've got a problem with that," and she's like, "No, I don't have a problem with that. You do." Mm. And it was just it was that, like you said, it suddenly becomes a lot about class tensions and about. Uh, how Daniel's dealing with that and not dealing particularly well, and he's. I mean, he's he's a very angry young man at the start mm. of the film, and I don't get the impression that has gone away at all, really. No, it, it's interesting. Like a lot of this movie feels about him trying to define himself through because mm. he, he he once he left uh, the East Coast and moved over to the West Coast, he like, he lost. He seemed to lose all sense of self, and he sort of searched around for a new sense of self um and it seemed to initially be in sort of it came in by comparison like he was i'm not that person i'm not the rich i'm not you know i'm not um i'm not uh so johnny lawrence i'm not that cobra kai and it was all about who he wasn't um whereas the ending of the film to me felt more about him becoming who he he was and accepting mm. this new family that he's got and accepting the new world he's now part of and accepting all of that. Um, and in return, the film has Johnny accept him, accept him back um, and sort of, you know, sort of, well, not welcome him in, but uh, remove the animosity by sort of the final stuff. That was, that was really telling, actually, that in the moment, the moment that he wins, Johnny is really concerned for him. Mm. And it, it's just it's just a front. It's just the fight, and you can tell when when Johnny comes up to him right after the win and says, "Daniel, you were right." That this, like you said, there's that sort of caring, that familial sense to it. Well, it's that. I mean, you can, you can see sort of the same thing happens in another sort of eight movies, like Top Gun. You know, in Top Gun at the end, Iceman's like, you can be my wingman anytime. Like, these, these have been enemies for the last two hours. And suddenly, by being good at what he does, he earns respect. And it's this really sort of 
I don't know what the word for it is, but there's such a such a, a, a sense in eighties movies particularly that that being talented and good at something will earn you respect more than anything else. And that if you're good enough at your what you do, you will overcome people's judgment of you. I did. I mean, I've I've come down quite hard in this film to start with. I did, but I did want to talk about some of the, and it, it's tellingly after Mister Mayor enters, but. Some of the things that I did really like about this film, at the beginning of Daniel's training, when Miss Miyagi is just getting him to do stuff around the house, mm-hmm. and there's that frustration building, and then like it, it boils over, and that frustration is a part on on the part of the viewer as well. You think, well, why have we been watching these montages of Daniel painting a fence? And then there's that moment where Miss Bay says, "No, this is why you're doing yeah. it." Yeah, and I thought I thought that that was really good. And I tell you, I, mean, I think it's one of those weird. Yeah, it's, it's one of those strange things is that that sort of you know teaching them non-fighting skills or non-technical skills that secretly teach them the skills they need has become mm. a trope almost so parodied and so done to death these days films like dodgeball and that sort of thing have kind of played that out to its nth degree mm. it's uh, it's hard it's supposed to be strange like, like i feel like this podcast is two people talking about different films because i'm coming in from such a different place that you are that like, mm. mine's entirely nostalgia yeah. infused and so to me, this was this was the first time I saw that idea of the wax on, wax off. Like you like by not be you learn the karate by doing other things. Whereas to you, you've come through, you know, thirty odd years of watching movies and see this trope evolve and grow and die. That when watching it this time, it doesn't have the same power to you. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Um it, it it is it is weird to sort of have that Suppose that not the lack of nostalgia, but I suppose it is. It, like, you view this film in a very different light to me, and mm. ultimately you're viewing a different film to me because to me I'm I'm also watching the film I watched when I was twelve. Well, that's that's interesting. That I mean, there are certain I'm not saying that happens with all films. But there are certain films that sort of like your your initial viewing experience is how you see that film. Mm. Like you said, your experience of the film is, is coloured by your experience of it as a 12-year-old. And my experience of the film is not going to be coloured in the same way. Um, when we discussed Lost in Translation, because that is a film I talked about at the time, I saw at a certain time in my life that it spoke hugely to me. And that mm. time of life isn't now. And so I approached that based on when I first view it. My, my love of that movie comes when I first view it. And I can't hand on heart say if I saw it now, it would have the same impact on me. Mm. And maybe this film is the yeah. same, it? but here there's a lot more nostalgia. And I think I was, maybe my reaction to it just comes from a place of being relieved it wasn't terrible. Because <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think anyone who's of our generation is who's actually sat down and watched the child, the, the TV of our childhood... Um, well, hand and heart say most of it was terrible, but we didn't know at the time. They did adverts for toys, but we didn't know at the time. And we loved them. Whereas this, it was re- it was kind of reassuring. You know what? It was pretty good. It's okay. It's okay to like this one. Like you know, it, it isn't. This isn't a terrible film from my childhood that actually isn't worth seeing anymore. Yeah, as much as I didn't get on with part of it, I can I can see that this is this is this is a pretty good film, mm. and mm. I mean. <laughs> I haven't. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. But I read. I 
got lost in the Wikipedia page for the fourth Karate Kid film. The next Karate and, Kid starring Hilary Swank. Yeah. Oh, God. And I read the plot summary and I thought, like, I don't even, like, it's not even about, you know, when you watch a film and you think, oh, that's two hours of my life, I can never get back. Like, the, the two and a half minutes I spent reading the plot summary, I thought, that's two and a half minutes of my <laughs> life, I'm never going to get back. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah, the, um... <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed Karate Kid Part 2, um, which is when they go to like an hour. Um, but I must say, I've never seen any more of the... Um, I, think, I think I saw three, and I may have seen four. I've not seen the remake um, from 2010, um, starring Jackie Chan. Um, but I must say, I can't... I can't, I must, I'm sure I've seen the one with Lee Swank, but I've blocked most of it out. Yeah, probably a good thing. Um, so yeah, but it, it, it's the way of the eighties movie. Like they, 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 there was a, a cartoon as well of of the Karate Kid, like a TV cartoon for kids. Um, it was that kind yeah. of you know commercial machine that things were plugged into back then, and it output so many copies of it. I know we live in a, we live in a different time now with different machines that output Marvel movies, forever. Um But it was just like anything successful would have these sort of iterations and repeats and sequels and add infinitum down the years I did think and again it's weird that I'm seeing this take this film for the first time now so just just imagine that you've never seen this film before um, but I thought it was it was kind of a, it was very predictable from the first fight scene exactly how this was going to play out mm-hmm. And it, it became much more, you know, right from the very beginning, you know that Johnny's going to get his carpets and Daniel's going to assert himself to be better than the Cobra Kai and he's going to win over Ali. And just, you kind of, it was a film not about will that happen, but how are we going to get there? Well, this is an excellent time for me to throw in my favourite petitioner. This is it's very Brechtian, uh, which is I think Sam and I have uh, clashing over the years. Um, but I, I think like whilst it isn't strictly Brechtian in terms of the way that handles a lot of things, um, there is a, I suppose there is a, a argument for this kind of movie being more that way because like you're right, you are entirely right. Like you know all the beats of his head. You know, mm. he's going to find the mentor, he's going to find the girl, he's going to triumph a lot of minutes. And before that, there's going to be a moment you think, oh, all is lost. It's very, you know, hero's journey. Um, yeah. But that, like, that, then it's strange that kind of story becomes, because you know the beat is going to hit, it frees you up to make a movie that's good in other ways. And the film becomes mm. not about the narrative tricks and reveals you're going to get. It's, it comes about the characters and the moments in there and, and that kind of thing. I think that's where, for me, the film does stand up, is that the, the characters do shine. And Miyagi, Miyagi is a brilliant one, where, like, you know his role. I mean, he is he is the mentor, and he's going to have a sad story, and he's going to find as much fulfillment in being the mentor as the mentee. He fills that role to a T, but he, he imbues that character with so much love and so much pathos that you still watch that movie, even though you know the narrative beats going to hit. Yeah, one, one of the interesting things about this was that um, when you get to the final fight at the end, Daniel is two points up really quickly. Mm. And you think, 
and you almost think, like, hang on, I thought I knew where, where this was going. Like, what's going to happen? Because you kind of programmed to think, well, you're going to have the final fight scene, the hero is going to be beaten down, he's going to almost be out of it, and then he's going to come back at the last minute and win. And you think, well, the hero shouldn't be too nil up. So, like, it, it almost throws you. There's something quite clever about the, the way that the way that that's been done. Mm. After, like, like you said, like the the whole film has been about you knowing where the beats are going to come, and uh, and the denouement, like, you kind of a bit thrown by that. There's something quite clever about the way that the story plays out. Well, I think that's where the the power of something like the hero's journey comes from, or traditional story structures, is that if you've got to view it more like good good movies do things, you've got to treat it more like a, like a jazz riff. That that you've got a, a solid riff, but you, you're going to riff it. You know, vary, vary, little variations on the theme here and there um, that still keep it interesting. Yeah, Sam, and as this wasn't your uh, favourite movie we've covered so far, do you have some recommendations for things you'd probably point people towards before this? It, it's not really, really in the genre. It's not at all in the genre. Um, just mention it because I do really enjoy this film, and it happens to be produced by well. The guy who produced Karate Kid, Jerry Weintraub, produced um, all of the Oceans films. And Oceans 12, Oceans 13 are not worth watching. And, and I haven't seen Oceans 8 yet. I would quite like to see that. Um, but the the Oceans 11, I was going to say the original best. It's, of course, not the original. It's a remake. But I do enjoy the 2001 Oceans 11 and my second one I mean we've already talked about sort of other high school films, teen films explorations of this sort of teen teenage awkwardness that you have at this age Um, and one that I really enjoyed and wasn't expecting to and I know you enjoyed it as well, we've talked about it before and I'm sure I've recommended it before but it's quite recent, 2013, the way, way back. Cracking movie. How about you? So I've got, I've got two recommendations, one of which is an actually link and one of which is a, a thematic link. So I'm going to thematic first. Um, this film would be surprised anyone who knows me, um, but I'm going to recommend the 1992 film, The Mighty Ducks. We talk about films following a traditional sort of Campbellian hero's journey. And this film is... It's almost in many ways a carbon copy of Karate Kid. You've got the underdogs, in this case a team, rather than one fighter. You've got the slightly evil, cheaty bad guys. You've got a mentor who is seeking redemption as much as he's seeking redeeming. And you've got the sort of the characters of the kids, or character of the kid, um, who are following him. There are, once again, variations on that theme, and there are different sort of plot hooks here and there. But this, the Mojax to me, is a great example of how like Sam says, you go into the Mighty Ducks knowing what's going to happen. You know they're going to win. They're going to win, and they're going to bond as a team. But it becomes about the characters. It becomes about knowing all these kids and knowing their different personality quirks and seeing those at play rather than trying to see the narrative machinations of a story. Um, that And it's just brilliant. It's another, another movie from my childhood that uh, stands the test of time. 
And I have actually seen this one, and I love my tulip. I'm glad that's the answer, otherwise <laughs> this could be the end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> so we haven't talked much about her role in Karate Kid, uh, but Elizabeth Shue plays uh, Ali Mills, the love interest of uh, Daniel in the movie. And she's had a, a long and varied career over the years. Um, but one film that she popped up in that it doesn't get talked about a lot that I've got a lot of affection for is the 2004 film Mysterious Skin starring Jason Gordon-Levitt as the sort of the main character in it but with support from Elizabeth Shue um, Michelle Trachtenberg it's a coming of age drama in many ways reckoning with themes of abandonment of child abuse of prostitution of the AIDS crisis and all these kind of things it is a it is a, a movie that will put you through the ringer um, but it is it's one of the early Jason Gordon-Levitt breaking out from being a teen comedy heartthrob into some very serious and dark place. It's a brilliant, brilliant film, and it isn't a film that a lot of people have seen. So if you... I mean, Elizabeth Shue isn't a huge character in it. She, she, she's in it, but she certainly isn't as, as one of the mains. I wouldn't go see it for her, but if you like good movies, you like some bit more meaty, Mysterious Skin is well worth some of your time. Brilliant. So, guys, we are moving on from the uh, 1980s. We're moving splat back into the 1990s. And we're going back, back to the East, as it were. Um, and we are picking up with, with the 1994 film, The Legend of the Drunken Master. The first time in this, sh- well, not really the first time, uh, but a Jackie Chan starring movie. Um, it isn't his first time he did pop up in Enter Dragon, um, but we are looking at the legend of or as it's originally known, Drunken Master 2. Actually, this may be the third one because there was a rumour that he was a child actor on Come Drink Me. You, uh, you're right, you're, yeah, you mentioned that. Yesterday. So maybe maybe it's the third Jackie Chan film, um, but uh, certainly the first one in which Jackie Chan becomes the Jackie Chan that we now know and, and love. So we'll be back in two weeks' time, guys, talking about that. Till then, you can find us both online at Pesci Podcast. You find just me at life underscore academic. And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. Though currently I am taking a bait from Twitter, so you won't find much from me there in the short term. Till then, guys, we will see you in two weeks.